0: PMBOK Guide 7th Edition. Yes, yes, you've all got your 7th editions, but you're looking at those artifacts and probably wondering how much of this stuff is actually new. Today, we're going to dive into PMBOK Guide 7th Edition artifacts. We're going to explore what is new, and we're going to be taking a look at the examples in the PMBOK Guide 7th Edition. So, why don't you follow me on down to where we've got these artifacts in that table. We are going to start from the very beginning comb through the plans, the reports, and all the other supporting documentation. All right, so right here on page 100 and 84 is where we have the entire list begin. And then if you're looking for the summary of everything that is on page 193 forward. All right, so whether you're on page 184 or 193, you'll be able to follow along. I'm going to give you a very short description of what these artifacts are, and you could take a look at other websites I refer you to to get further clarity. All right, are you ready? Let's get started. All right, the very first artifacts that we find in the 7th edition are known as strategy artifacts. These are on page 184 forward. So on page 184, we have the business case, the project brief, project charter, project vision statement, and roadmap. So let's examine these one by one. Business case. The business case, as simple as it sounds, makes a case for the project. Here's an example from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. Their website is at tinyurl.com forward slash sigma PMO. Let me put it in here just so that you got a good idea of where it's at. Tinyurl.com forward slash sigma PMO. If you go to that website, a lot of the documents that I'm going to be talking about today, you can find them right there. Okay. TinyURL.com forward slash sigma PMO. So The business case, it makes a case for the project. That's a summary. You can get all the minutiae in the document. But it says, business case is a value proposition for a proposed project, which may include financial and non-financial benefits. And you can find some of those financial benefits here in the document as you go through it. A good business case should have not only the alternatives, but also the cost for the alternatives. And which of these do you think will be the most viable option And there you have some of the costs uh, listed out in that table. And that's the business case. It's very important, very important as far as the holy grail of the PMI and the PMP exam. Very important document. The next one is project brief. Now, in other schools of thought of project management, they call what they may refer to as a charter a brief in some circles. But it says here, a project brief provides a high-level overview of the goals, deliverables, and processes for the project. The next one is the project charter. As you know it formally authorizes the project, gives the project manager the authority to apply resources to the project. Here's an example of a project charter. And as you can see here we've got the title, the sponsor, and then we go into the details of project justification, the description, high level project and product requirements, high level budget, summary budget, initial risks, summary milestones, and stuff like that. And that's why, in some circles, they refer to a project brief as this. Okay, next one is project vision statement. So a vision statement should have some certain ingredients for it to actually cast a vision. Here's an example from scrum.org. You can see in the crafting a vision for the product, you have who it's for, the statement of need or opportunity, The product, if you want project, key benefit, primary competitive alternative, and statement of primary differentiation. That is just one example. But the vision, as it reads here, is a document, high-level description of the project that states the purpose, and it should inspire. That's the key thing about the vision, inspire the team to contribute to the project. All right. The next thing we're going to talk about here is the roadmap. Now, the PMI have been smart in staying away from the word product, because a lot of times when you hear roadmap, it's really a product roadmap. But not every project produces a product. Some projects produce a service, right? Or some other kind of result. So let's take a look at the roadmap example I have for you here. It's a very simple one that we use in our Project Management Masterclass, and that is a roadmap, product roadmap. So here it says, this document provides a high-level timeline that depicts milestones, significant events, reviews, and decision points. That's it. You can see here where everything is scheduled pretty much for the quarter, for the month, it really depends on your preference, but it shows you at that high level, high level timeline. That's really it. You can also find an example of something similar in the Pembok Guide 6th Edition and the Agile Practice Guide. All right, so that's that. Let's go to logs and registers next. Logs and registers, the very first one here is the assumption log. What is an assumption? Assumption is a factor that is considered to be true, real, or certain without proof. We also have a log of constraints. A constraint is a factor that limits the project team's options. Together, we want to collect all of these, and we want to put these together in what we call an assumption log. Some people say an assumptions log. Some people may say an assumption and constraint log. And right there on the screen, you can see a log of assumptions or constraints, right but it's referred to in general as an assumption log all right let's go to the next one the next one here we refer to this as a backlog a backlog is an ordered list of work to be done if you've been through our training we train you about scrum and we talk about the product backlog well here we just refer to it commonly as the backlog because it's not always a product next one here is a change log The change log is, as it sounds, a log of changes, and a change log is used to log changes that you encounter throughout the project. There's an example of a change log. It says a comprehensive list of changes submitted during the project and their current status. So you could get a change request, but you need to log the changes so you keep track of them, and that's an example of how you would do that. All right, the next one we have here is an issue log. An issue log is a log of issues, exactly as it sounds. Now, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, they have examples of this. I'll show you again one of PMI's examples and that's an issue log. You can see the issue ID, the category, the issue, the impact on objectives, so on and so forth. Going back to our list of stuff to talk about, the next thing we have here is called a Lessons Learned Register. Lessons learned registers are used to capture, of course, the knowledge that you gain on the project. And one of the things you need to be careful about with the lessons learned register is that the register is actually used and people refer back to it because it's easy to dump lessons learned in a document, but will it actually be looked at? Okay, so it reads here, lessons learned register is used to record knowledge gained during a project phase or iteration so that it can be used to improve. That's the key thing. You want to use it to improve future performance. All right, let's take a quick look at the lessons learned here. This is a lessons learned document. What went well, what didn't go so well, what can be improved, and all that stuff. That's what you use your lessons learned register to do. The next one here is a risk-adjusted backlog. Now, the risk-adjusted backlog is a concept that we use in the world of Agile. So I'm gonna switch gears and move into Agile mode. I'll show you examples of a risk-adjusted backlog. So why don't we start off with the reasoning behind a risk-adjusted backlog. The reasoning is as follows. For every one of those backlog items that you have in a product backlog or some other backlog, there's an element of risk on every one of those items, risk of perhaps not knowing as much as you thought you would and finding yourself in a bottleneck or tailspin, maybe having to go off and do a spike before you can actually understand what needs to be done, uh, the full picture of it. And for that reason, we wanna take a look at all the items and if there's a high level of impact in terms of if a risk associated with that backlog item happens, the impact would be high or the probability would be high, then we could score it, for example, as a 9. Now, this is a dumbed-down version, simplified version, of the typical probability impact matrix. In the world of Agile, we don't go as far in many instances, so this is scaled down. Some matrices go all the way up to 25. This is all the way up to a 9, which is still okay. We can still do what we need to do. So assuming we score certain items, certain backlog items and the risk associated with them, we understand what is risky, what is not as risky, and we can go into our backlog, as you can see on the screen, and we can decide certain risk actions or spikes that are associated with risks that could impact our backlog items. We take the approach of using spikes or elements in our backlog that help us go after those risks to avert disaster on the project or to prevent whatever risk we are observing from happening, to minimize it, to make sure that even if the risk does happen, the effect isn't as much. And that's this risk-adjusted backlog concept, right? we got our backlog, but we need to think about the element of risk based on what is most risky, least risky, what gives the biggest payoff, the least payoff, which ones are we gonna do something about, which ones aren't we gonna do something about, and based on your understanding of the risk items and the actual backlog items, you can go into your backlog and make adjustments based on the spikes that you need to carry out to minimize risk. That's pretty much the idea. All right, the next one is a risk register. The risk register is a register where you log risks. It's as simple as that. Here's an example. In the risk register, you could have different fields, the risk statement, the probability, the impact, the score. One of the things I like to do with my risk statement is have a cause, risk, and effect breakdown. This doesn't have it, but in your statement, you should mention the cause of the risk, the risk itself, and the impact of the risk. So we say cause, risk, and effect. All right, the next one here is a stakeholder register. So who is your stakeholder? Your stakeholder is someone who could impact the project or be impacted by the project. Here's an example of a stakeholder register. You can see it's partially filled, a name, position, role, contact information, requirements, so on and so forth. And it says here, a stakeholder register records information about project stakeholders, which includes an assessment and classification of project stakeholders. So you can see the Assessment and so on could be on the right-hand side of the table and just basic information about them. Contact information is more to the left. All right, let's move on to our next section, and we're going into what we call plan artifacts, okay? Now, the first one is called a change control plan. You see they are not using the words change management plan. It says a change control plan is a component of the project management plan. That establishes the change control board, documents the extent of its authority, so on and so forth. Well, same thing, change management plan, it's all semantics. I wish they would just stick to certain names and not change them, as you can see in the example from 2010. We've got some examples here, and down below, you can see we've got the change control board, naming of the change control board, and stuff like that. So some of the names that are used, you know, such as change control board. They are the same in both documents. They've just renamed it in this edition as a change control plan. All right. So let's take a look one by one. There's your change control plan, the very first one there. Communications management plan. This one, of course, you know, this is a plan for how to communicate. Okay. Communications management plan. Here's an example from a previous PMI, publication, and you can see we've got the message, the audience, the method, frequency, the sender, so on and so forth. All right. Going down the list, and we can't show every single one, but we have a cost management plan, a plan for managing cost, an iteration plan, and the iteration plan is a detailed plan for the current iteration. The PMI give you an example in the sixth edition. They talk about different plans from the product level, then the release level, then the iteration level, and so on and so forth. You see all those in uh, PMBOK Guide 6th edition. The next one is a procurement management plan. And this is very well covered in the PMBOK Guide 6th edition. But the procurement management plan is a plan for managing procurements. So managing your procurements is done with intentionality and all they're saying in this plan is Decide what you're going to buy, if you're going to buy it, why you're going to buy it, and when, right? And then plan the delivery method. Plan the kind of documents that you would need, RFPs, RFQs, RFIs. And also just plan the general sequence of the procurements. It says here, this plan is a component of the project or program management plan that describes how a project team will acquire goods and services from outside the performing organization. All right, the next one is like a summary of everything we have been talking about. And the Center for Disease Control and Prevention have a brilliant illustration of this. I'm gonna show you the CDC's example right here. If you scroll down into the table of contents, you see how well this has been broken out into the different aspects of project management. We've got scope, we've got compliance, schedule, budget, see that, cost project organization, risk management, all sorts of great stuff, change management, communications management, pretty much all of the subsidiary plans we talked about, you find them in one singular plan, this project management plan. So going back to the plan to take one more quick look at it, if you go into the meat of this plan, it actually walks you through on how to fill it out. It's a good one I would recommend If you're looking for a light version of a project management plan. So here in the PMBOK guide 7th edition it says it's a document that describes how the project will be executed, monitored, and controlled and closed. And within the plan you see the elements that are talked about all throughout this section. For example, a quality management plan. So if you wanted to document your strategy, your approach for quality, you would do it right there. See? And that's what comes next in our table of contents. Quality management plan, a plan for how to manage quality. Release plan. This plan sets expectations for the dates, features, and or outcomes expected to be delivered over the course of multiple iterations. And we can take a look at an example here from the Lucid chart. Here's their interpretation of a release plan. And you can see the different pieces of work that have to be done at a much higher level. In other words, the releases. That's why it's called a release plan. And it says, this plan sets expectations for the dates, features, and or outcomes expected to be delivered over the course of multiple iterations. So you can see over the course of different iterations over several years, you can see alpha release, beta release final release so on and so forth all right let's go back next one here after release plan is requirements management plan a plan for how to manage requirements resource management plan a plan for how to manage your resources risk management plan a plan for how you manage risks taken into account the thresholds for stakeholder tolerances concerning risk probability and impact matrix format Um, how you will score the risks, what probability of high, medium, low, very low, very high would look like. All that stuff is in your risk management plan. And then we have the scope management plan, how you'll manage scope, the schedule management plan, how you're going to manage the schedule, which tools will you use, so on and so forth. We have the stakeholder engagement plan. We're on page 187, by the way. And this is a plan for how to engage stakeholders. There's so many things, I wish I could show you all of them, but we don't have time for that. We do some of this in our project management masterclass, but there's so many things I could show you here, potentially. We have a document, just to give you an idea of some of the things that could go into stakeholder uh, management plan. Uh, PMI had a document called Stakeholder Management Strategy. It's pretty much very similar to this. What is your strategy for engaging stakeholders? That's pretty much the idea. All right. Stakeholder engagement plan. The next one is a test plan. And it says this document describes deliverables that will be tested, tests that will be conducted, and the processes that will be used. Now let's very quickly go through this next set. Organizational breakdown structure looks like a family tree. It breaks down the organization into layers, into hierarchies. It says it's a hierarchical representation of the project organization. Okay. And let's use a tick to tick off on each one so that you know where I am. All right. The next one is a product breakdown structure. Again, hierarchical structure reflecting a products, components, and deliverables. A resource breakdown structure, a hierarchical representation of resources by category and type. And this is human equipment, material supplies, and facilities. A risk breakdown structure is a hierarchical representation of potential sources of risk and a work breakdown structure is a hierarchical decomposition of the total scope of work to be carried out by the project team. All right, let's move on to our final one on this slide. We have budget. A budget is the approved estimate for the project or any work breakdown structure component. So remember, when we say budget, it could be loosely used, but in a more formal setting, when we talk about budget, we're talking about the management reserves, the contingency reserves, and the actual estimates. That's what we're talking about. And PMI have a different breakdown in the seventh edition of how this maps, but we won't go into that now. The next one is a milestone schedule, pretty much a milestone list. It's a schedule with milestones instead of uh, activities. So the milestones capture higher level accomplishments, events. The next one is a performance measurement baseline, also known as PMB. It reads here in the seventh edition on page 188, integrated scope, schedule, and cost baselines are used For comparison, to measure, to manage, and control project execution. All right, so we've gone through this, and this, and this. All right, the project schedule, it says it's an output of a schedule model. In other words, all of this schedule data, we can take that schedule data, and we can come out with an interpretation of all of this data, and that becomes our schedule. At a minimum, a schedule has your plan dates, your durations, it could have milestones. It doesn't have to have resources, but these days a lot of schedules such as in MS Project and in Smartsheet and PlanView and other places, they could have that feature. Last but not least, we have the scope baseline. The baseline is the approved version of a scope statement work breakdown structure, and its associated WBS dictionary. In other words, WBS, WBS dictionary, and project scope statement. Let's move on to the next one here. This is going to go quick. So affinity diagram. It's a diagram showing a large number of ideas classified in groups. A burn chart, burn down chart, or burn up chart. It's a graphical representation of work remaining or work done. Shows you depending on what you want to see. You can see as the work is being burnt down and used typically in agile projects. Cause and effect diagrams, a visual tool that helps trace an undesirable effect back to its root cause. And there's a lot of detail regarding the cause and effect diagram in the 7th edition if you want to understand the categories that we break that down into. Next one is cumulative flow diagram, CFD. And it says, this chart indicates features completed over time, features in development, and those in the backlog. They've got a great example of that in the agile practice guide. The next one here is cycle time chart. This diagram shows the average cycle time of the work items completed over time. A cycle time chart may be shown as a scatter diagram or a bar chart. So they give you a lot of descriptions, however, there's no example visual for you. Dashboard, this set of charts and graphs shows progress or performance against important measures of the project and they differ from project to project. A flowchart is a diagram showing inputs, process actions, and outputs. If you really want to optimize a process, make sure you look at the flow chart associated with it. Next one is Gantt chart. This bar chart provides schedule information, where activities are listed on the vertical axis, dates are shown on the horizontal axis, and activity durations are shown as horizontal bars. You know, a picture is worth a thousand words. You've probably seen these kind of horizontally-looking bar charts in Microsoft Project or in Smart Sheet. That is precisely what this refers to. All right, let's go to the next one, histogram. Histogram is a bar chart showing graphical representation of numerical data. Next one is Information Radiator. It's an artifact in the world of Agile, predominantly. It's visible, physical display that provides information down to the minute. Whatever you're looking for, we could put it on an Information Radiator. and People can just learn uh, status and things like that as they move uh, through the room looking at the board. Next one is Lead Time Chart, and it reads, This diagram shows the trend over time of the average lead time of the items completed. A lead time chart may be shown as a scatter diagram or a bar chart. So, My recommendation is to actually understand the difference between lead time and cycle time. Uh, Go to the Agile Practice Guide, take a look, there's a difference between the lead time, which is the customer's perspective of when they put the order in, when it's done, and then you have cycle time, the people actually doing the work saying, well, I picked it up at 10.59, but cycle time is just showing you from 10.59. Lead time is showing you from 8 o'clock when that customer put that request in. So there's a difference between the two. Good one for you to understand for your exam. All right. So next here, going down the list, we have some more information, which we do not see apparently on this slide. So I'm going to move to a blank slide, and I'm just going to give you the top of the waves regarding what we've not talked about. And I'll just use some abbreviations for them so the next one we have here i'm just going to say pm prioritization matrix and it says this matrix is a scatter diagram where effort is shown on the horizontal axis and value on the vertical axis the next one is a project schedule network diagram it's a bit of a mouthful project schedule network diagram and it reads This graphical representation shows the logical relationships among the project schedule activities. So if you've seen something that looks like this, where you have boxes joined by arrows, and you have the durations on the boxes, and it shows you a network of activities, that is a project schedule network diagram. All right, next one is requirements traceability matrix. And I do need to show you this one it is one of the PMI dogma that you definitely should know. There's your RTM. It's a matrix that links requirements to their origin. Okay. There's another one I would have loved to show you. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that. Responsibility assignment matrix. I'd have to bring up another PowerPoint. Probably not worth the effort, but Your requirements traceability matrix, uh, your responsibility assignment matrix uh, is a grid that shows the project resources assigned to each work package. Actually, this is one I absolutely must show you. So let's bring that up. And the RACI chart, oh, it's been around for so long in this world of the PMP exam and the PMI that it will almost be wrong for me not to show it to you. So let me show it to you real quick. All right, so here's the uh, RACI chart. Responsibility assignment matrix is uh, the overall terminology. Then a type of uh, RAM is the RACI chart. So let me show you the RACI chart. That's the RAM. Uh, You can see the title of the individual, their role, and their responsibility. Now, we can get more specific here in a RACI chart, and we can actually show who is responsible, who is accountable, who is consultative, and who is informative. Okay, and then we can even go into more details, more level of details, and more cross-functionality. All right, so that's your uh, RACI chart. All right, let's go back to our list of what we need to talk about. All right, so back to our list, we've got uh, scatter diagrams. This shows the relationship between two variables. And in a scatter diagram, you've probably seen something like this you got a y-axis, you've got an x-axis, and you've got all of these dots. And from the dots, you can infer if there's a relationship, either direct or indirect. You can see if there's a relationship between just by plotting. So it reads here, this graph shows a relationship between two variables. It doesn't tell you why there's a relationship, but it will show you if there is a relationship between the variables. Okay, it could be inverse, it could be otherwise. Let's get rid of that. next one is an S-curve. This graph displays cumulative costs over a specific period of time. Uh, This is really well documented in the sixth edition under the cost management chapter. The next one is the seam, the Stakeholder Engagement Assessment Matrix. I will have to show you this one for sure. Let me see if I can bring up the seam. Stakeholder Engagement Assessment Matrix, if I've got this to show you. And the Stakeholder Engagement Assessment Matrix is a very visual tool that shows you and the team what you need to do to get a stakeholder engaged. In other words, you can see where the stakeholder currently is, if they are unaware, if they are resistant, if they are in a neutral position, and if they're in a leading position. you know All that information, you can see it. So let's get that up to show you here. This is well documented again in the sixth edition. This is part of why I gripe a little bit about how the seventh lacks enough depth because you don't get to see all this good stuff. You just got one line item of something that is so visually compelling and helpful To teams but you don't have an example unfortunately so anyway um, this is uh, page 189 and it says this matrix compares current and desired stakeholder engagement levels but this is more than you know just throwing up information Uh, an entire conversation uh, about how to move a project forward by way of getting stakeholders who are unaware getting them into a supportive role stakeholders who are resistant, getting them into a supportive role, or understanding that stakeholders are exactly where you want them. So C is for current, and D is for desired, and great tool for project teams uh, everywhere to be on the same page. All right, going back here, we've got um, stakeholder engagement assessment matrix. Turning the page over, we've got story map. I don't have an example of that to show you, but it reads... A story map is a visual model of all the features and functionality desired for a given product. That is a very easy one for you to see, but I don't have a ready example and there's none here. Throughput chart, this chart shows the accepted variables over time, so that's a throughput chart. And then we have use cases. This artifact describes and explores how a user interacts with a system to achieve a specific goal. And then we have value stream map. This is a lean enterprise method used to document, analyze, and improve the flow of information or materials required to produce a product service for a customer. And the last one we have is velocity chart. And I'll show you a quick example of this. Let's go to our velocity chart example. All right, here we go. So a velocity chart could look something like that. And it reads, this chart tracks the rate at which the deliverables are produced, validated, and accepted within a predefined interval. So typically teams, they have wide band of potential outcomes at first. And then as they begin to move through the project, it gets firmer. We call it the cone of uncertainty. But the ultimate goal of this is to understand what you could possibly give to a stakeholder within weeks or what number of story points you should aim to get done for a stakeholder based on requests. So a stakeholder asking for 250 story points worth of work from this velocity chart, you've got an idea of how to uh, bargain with that stakeholder, right, over a period of four to six weeks. You could tell them we can't give it to you in four, but definitely somewhere. Uh, between 4 and 6, that kind of thing. And then if a stakeholder asks you for, let's say, 150 story points, you've got an idea of the span of time that would take. Or if they ask you for what you can do for them in the next three sprints or three weeks, you've got an idea that it's going to be anywhere from 125 to 175. That's pretty much the use of our velocity chart, not just to understand how well we're doing, but also to predict what we can do. All right. We've got a little bit left and we're going to fly through these ones real, real fast. Okay. Let's go back to our list and let's move on to the next one. All right. So here we have report artifacts and here we have quality report. A report for quality across the project. Think of this as a State of the Union address for quality. Summary findings, that's it. Risk report, it says, this project document is developed progressively through the risk management processes and summarizes information on individual project risk and the level of overall project risk. Again, it's one of those State of the Union addresses for the knowledge area. And last but not least, we have status report, as simple as it sounds, provides current status on the project. Next, we have agreements and contracts. We have different types of contracts in project management. We have fixed price contracts and we have three different ones that are talked about. FFP, FPIF, FP-EPA. Look up for my video where I talk about these. We have cost reimbursable contracts and this category of contracts involves payments to the seller. We have three types, CPAF, CPFF and CPIF. Again, look for my video on this. And then we have time and material contracts. Just search for contract types, on you'll find it. All right, so we have time and materials. This contract establishes a fixed rate, but not a precise statement of work. It can be used for staff augmentation. All right, next we have indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity. This contract provides an indefinite quantity of goods or services with stated lower and upper limit and within a fixed time period. This contract can be used for architectural engineering or information technology engagements. And then we have other agreements, things like MOUs, Memorandums of Understanding, MOAs, Memorandums of Agreement, SLA, Service Level Agreements, and Basic Ordering Agreement, BOA, amongst others. Let's go to our next one here. Other artifacts, activity list, a list of activities, bid documents, RFIs, RFQs, RFPs, we have metrics. A metric is an attribute. It's one thing to have a metric. Remember, you need a measurement. So we derive metrics usually from when we are planning quality management. The next one is project calendar. It's a calendar identifying working shifts, working days and shifts that are available or for scheduled activities. Next one is requirements documentation. It's a document which provides requirements and also talks about How the requirements meet the needs of the business. It says here on page 192, information needed to manage the requirements, which includes the associated category, priority, and acceptance criteria. Next one here is project team charter. We often hear the team charter being referred to as a team agreement, social contract, team contract, all the same thing, but it records team values, agreements, operating guidelines, do's and don'ts, acceptable behavior, and so on. And last but not least, we have user story. User story, uh, user story is a brief description of an outcome for a specific user, which is a promise of a conversation to clarify details. So my friends, let's take a look before we jump out of here very quickly, a summary about user stories since it's such a hot topic for your PMP exam. So going to our user story slide, a user story is a brief description of a need or problem. User stories are short, simple descriptions of a feature told from the perspective of the person who desires the new capability, usually a user or customer of the system. The three aspects of a user story, a card, written on a card, a conversation, having a conversation about the story to clarify it, and the confirmation criteria that can be used to determine when the story is complete. Now, we often write the story in this format, role, goal, benefit. As a, your role, I would like, what do you want? Benefit, so that, whatever you want to accomplish. In this example, we see a poorly written story on the left. As a customer, I want to create a profile so that I can have an account. On the right-hand side, we see a better written story that actually talks about why you do want that account, right? I want to create a profile so that I don't have to fill in the information again. Oh, you're trying to save time, well, that's value. You see, So we always write it from the role, goal, benefit perspective and want to understand what it will do for the customer. In closing, at the back of the card, we put in the acceptance criteria. And we can use the Gherkin format, the given when, then. We could use all sorts of formats. It's not the only one. But the idea is when you get a user story, you want to get to a point where that user story is actually ready to go into the sprint. So we have something called the definition of READY and the definition of DONE. The definition of READY is pretty much along the lines of the INVEST acronym. And I'm just going to write down the INVEST acronym real quick here. INVEST means the story is independent, it's negotiable, it's valuable, or vertical in value, it's estimable, it's small enough to fit within a sprint and it's testable. And I go into this stuff in other videos, but the idea is a user story when you're going into the sprint, you want it to be ready so that you can be working on it. And you also want to understand for the increment what makes it done, not the story in this case, even though we could use the word done to talk about a story, a story is done, and so on. But in this case, we're talking about the entire increment, the potentially shippable increment. How do we know that an increment is done? Does it meet all engineering practices? Have you been through peer reviews? Have you been through tested, unit testing, uh, user acceptance testing, and so on? All of that stuff, it should be uh, carried out first to say it's done, okay? And with that, my friends, we are at the end of our very ambitious journey To get through every single artifact in the 7th edition. Uh, It's quite funny because if this was the 6th edition, my goodness, we'd probably be here all night. We'll be here all night, I can assure you. All right, for those of you who are getting ready for the exam, okay, and you're wondering, how do I get help? Where can I get help? I want to encourage you to go on down to our website. It's called praiseon.com. P.R.A.I.Z.I.O.N.com. when you get to our website scroll down and look for the plethora of training aids and help that we've got for you if you've got any questions feel free to put them right here in the comment below i'll get back to you as soon as i can all right thank you very much for joining me i wish you all the best on your exam remember the exam is very heavily hybrid and agile okay it's not just predictive stuff Predictive is very small compared to the amount of hybrid and agile stuff you've got, okay? For that reason, my advice, parting gift for you. My advice would be speed read this. Pay more focus to the principles, okay? This one right here, spend a lot more time with the Agile Practice Guide. Read through it a couple of times. You'll be glad you did understand page 50, uh, forward the practices, everything. (laughs) I know it well. Good. All right. I believe I've got a video and a summary to that somewhere on YouTube. And then when it comes to this one, my friends, you've got to tread carefully because I know some people are telling you to keep pounding on this and ITTOs. No, you need a skilled handler, someone who's able to weed out what is really important to focus on and things that you shouldn't because if you're trying to read these three books, that's not wise, not in the least bit. You shouldn't be doing that, my friends. That's why you need an experienced trainer who can tell you, don't focus on this, focus on that, don't focus on that. And I actually have a video that talks about things you shouldn't be reading for your PMP exam in the interest of time, okay? I would say if you're going to read anything in the sixth edition, speed read, that's for one, and two, look for my one-minute summaries for every knowledge here. There's no need for you to go off on a rabbit trail, burrowing and going so deep. Your exam does not have predictive minutia in it like it used to. It doesn't have all of those formulas and stuff. Don't do it. Is it good for you to know that from a project management perspective? It's good but it's not going to come out on your exam, all that. In fact, we have so many people saying there was absolutely zero mention of exact process names and ITTOs. I just thought I should let you know that. You take care, my friends, and I'll speak to you soon.